professionals working in the water wastewater industry are faced with numerous challenges. We here at Tenemic Company actively collaborate with asset owners on many of these concerns, including the long-term protection of key structures from the forces of corrosion. On today's episode of Coatings Decoded, we feature part two of my interview with Colleen Arnold, president of Aqua. Colleen gives her insights into the current state of the water industry. We also discuss how the proper selection of coating systems can help to provide a longer service life at the lowest life cycle cost, and in turn, the most sustainable solution. We close out our interview with a discussion on challenges in the workforce and some helpful advice from Colleen for those considering a career in the water industry. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump right back into the conversation. You've been very involved with, with AWA, with, with Women in Water and some of their initiatives. And I know here in a minute, we'll, we'll talk about uh, some of the workforce challenges, but I know that that's always is up at the top of the list is not only do we need to attract new people to the industry, uh, but also ideally uh, the workforce should reflect the population that they're serving. You know, because customers typically, you know, for the most part, want to deal with people that, that or want to be represented by people that look like them. And, and so seeing some of those initiatives is, is definitely much needed and, and glad to see it. So, um, so, so kind of shifting gears again, um, you know, you know we, we've talked about your career path, talked about some of your challenges. Um, I'd like to talk about the industry as a whole for a minute. Um, and I know you're familiar with the, the, the AWA state of the water industry report that comes out every year. And uh, I guess the one this past year, um, which a lot of times the top issues don't really change too much, but um, there was a little bit of shifting in it, I guess, after COVID. But, um, but in 2022, the top two issues listed in this, in this AWA state of the water industry report were um, number one was renewal and replacement of aging water infrastructure. And then number two was financing for capital improvements. And so uh, with that said, as a large utility owner, I, I was hoping you could speak to these two issues. And then also my understanding is with Aqua being a private utility, uh, could you possibly explain the differences around infrastructural renewal and or replacement for Aqua? Uh, compared to, say, a public municipality? Yes, <laughs> I'd be happy to. There's a, a lot there. Kind of a loaded um, question there. Sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> I guess, you know, in terms of the big picture, and as someone who's worked, again, in water for over 25 years, I, I, I don't think historically we did a great job of communicating our value. Um, and so that's this overarching challenge. And, and as somebody who worked in city government, too, um, we haven't always done the best job at investing and doing the maintenance, right? Like Jackson, Mississippi is an example um, that we could have. So the the water infrastructure needs, uh, you know, that's all out there, right? The ASC report card, AWS, you know, everybody knows that we have aging infrastructure um, and big infrastructure needs and um, that we haven't necessarily kept up with it. Um, and it's such an important issue. And on the affordability side, that's also a really big issue. Um, and again, you know, I I get a little bit angry, <laughs> maybe, um, or just, um, just concerned, just even for our society, like 
we haven't done a great job communicating our value, right? But we all, when we don't have that water that comes on with the shower in the morning or question the quality of what's coming out the tap or you can't flush your sewer, right? Like you're like, that's a really bad day and you start to value it. Um, but like if a water bill, you know, even thinks about getting close to $100, but we'll pay $200 for a cell phone bill or have every cable service. Um, and so I think they're just, you know, the aging infrastructure needs are are huge. Plus, and we can talk a little bit more about this, um, the removing lead, which is a Biden initiative to get all lead service lines removed um, within 10 years. And then um, the new regulation around chemicals called PFAS, um, you know, that's not even in these estimates yet. Um, and, and so the need to invest um, in water and in infrastructure and in treatment with the new regs coming out, um, as well as just the aging um, failures of the, you know, mains and equipment that's there is, is huge. Um, and the financing needs are going to be great. Um, Aqua... Our um, capital program, you know, I manage um, over $600 million worth of capital investment is what we'll be doing this year. Um, we replace up to 150 miles per main a year. Um, and, you know, so I'd be happy to talk more about um, what we do. Part of why I moved um, actually from city government to this side is the ability to, to get things done. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, this is not blanket on every city um, or every municipality or utility. There are so many really well-run utilities out there. But um, for me, um, it's, you know, we're incentivized as a private and we can talk about that a little bit more. And so being in incentivized and able to earn a rate of return economically, it really drives us to do the um, the investments and, and, and get infrastructure, you know, have a really successful capital program that's needed. And I just find it really gratifying seeing all that we do. Municipal or government run water utility will be able to, um, they'll finance the capital through debt um, and some grants and, you know, hopefully maybe get low interest loans that's through the state revolving loan fund. Um, and then that with the regular expenses for chemicals, power, you know, all of that is, um, you know, one for one. They're they're not making a profit on it. And then, like I said, on the regulated utility side, and, and those rates either have to go through a authority board or, or, or a city council. And um, on the, again, from my experience in city government, um, city council, and especially if the water department is within, like it was within public works where I was, um, there's just a lot of education that has to go on and and city council is more at least where i was a little bit more interested in crime and economic development or even potholes because they're visible and so it was a constant education on the water wastewater issues and so getting rates passed was not necessarily easy and so then on the my experience here now on the regulated utility side being we're regulated by a commission and so um, as a, basically, you know, we're a monopoly, right? You can't go out and choose another supplier. Um, and so the regular, you know, the commission does a really, really good job at making sure our rates are prudent and that our capital investment is prudent. And so we have to go through really vigorous um, rate cases 
that look at the investments that we want to make and they they give us again um, incentive or a rate of return for the risk that we're taking um, on the behalf of our shareholders to do that investment. So we're able to fund our capital program through typically, you know, it, you know, rule of thumb, it's like a 50-50 split. 50% equity um, or shareholder dollars and then 50% debt financing. Um, and then our rates, though, are determined, and again, all of like making sure it's a prudent investment and not a pipe to nowhere, you know, the utility commissions take that compact really seriously. Sure. Is that well, helpful? No, no, it is very much so. Okay. No, I appreciate you sharing that. So okay. I, I know in, in the coatings world, we don't necessarily get into the, the mechanism of, of it, right. but I can tell you from many of our field reps and, and then many of market managers like myself, we're, we're in the field quite a bit and we, you know, we'll do assessments of, of different infrastructure assets. And so we, we see the effects of corrosion and, and typically yes. we're brought in when, when it comes down to, Hey, you know, I've got to do something or I've got to preserve this asset. And so um, understanding the financing is very important, but, you know, and, and having some of these new mechanisms coming down the line to, you know, like the bipartisan infrastructure law and then, uh, even ARPA money. Um, I, I, would, I would say all that has been very advantageous because some of these some of these projects and some of these deferred investments that a lot of owners have put off for many years, they're now able to to get access to some of these funds and able to tackle these projects. Right. And so I, I would say that that's all very very welcome to our industry. And so it, it is very very important to understand how that all works. Though, so I appreciate your insight there. So another thing, uh, when you talk about AWWA, um, one of their big current initiatives is Water 2050. And so that for, for those of you listening that may not be aware of, this is a, an initiative that is really trying to reimagine or, or even imagine the future of water. And so if you go to go to their website, you can pull this report down. Um, it lists out uh, five key drivers. Um, and I won't necessarily go through all of those, but uh, one of those key drivers is sustainability. And, and so I would say, you know, the organization as a whole really offers a lot of commentary on the concept of sustainability. And so, so I'll, I'll read this statement, which I think does a good job of setting up our, our conversation here. But um, it's a statement from their website, which, which states that AWA advocates for the sustainable design management and operation of utilities and programs that manage or impact water resources. So for this policy statement, sustainability shall be taken to mean using resources in an economically, environmentally, and socially responsible manner. And they call this a, a triple bottom line approach. Mm -hmm. and, and that's designed to meet the needs of today without compromising the ability of future generations to meet the needs of tomorrow. And so I always like to read that verbatim. I, I don't want to butcher it because I feel like that's very well crafted the way they lay that out. A lot of and thought so, into it. Yeah, de definitely, definitely. And and so um, after saying that, I was hoping you could take a moment to discuss sustainability and, and maybe discuss sustainable infrastructure and, and what that looks like at Aqua. Yeah, no, <clears throat> happy to. On the sustainable infrastructure part, in as you look at the triple bottom line, like you just talked about, mm -hmm. um, you know, we do believe in, you know, taking life cycle costs into account. And so again, we, we have a little bit more flexibility in terms of not necessarily having to do lowest bid. Um, 
and you know, so tank coatings, right? We'll use that mm -hmm. as an example, right? A product might be a little bit more expensive upfront, but if it's going to extend the life of the asset, that that's the better selection. So we do believe in taking, you know, what I would call um, life cycle costs, whether it's going to be, you know, again, might be cheaper upfront, but if it's going to be less efficient on energy, you know, we'll put in a better pump because over the life of that asset, that's, you know, that just makes more sense for our customers and is more sustainable. So we definitely do all of that. Um, we uh, have um, sustainability for us um, comes under like what's called like an ESG program. Um, and again, as a with shareholders, a lot of um, investors, especially those environmentally minded that look at utilities are really looking for us to, to be taking a long-term view. And so, you know, I, I, Back in the day, it used to be if you increase shareholder value, you know, you're doing something right. But now they really want to make sure that you're not just getting profits um, at the expense of a longer term view. So so they're looking at what our um, what our stance is on environment, social and governance. And so on environment, we have committed to reducing our um, carbon emissions by 60 percent by 2035. And again, this is for essential, so both the gas and, gas and the water side. On the water side, we do have flexibility and procurement of electrical supplies. So we currently, in um, four of our states, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, and New Jersey, all of our power comes from renewable sources. And that was at um, the same price we were paying for coal fire. So it's not like we're uh, making our customers pay more to have renewable. Um, again, we're always looking at energy efficiency and, and, and going towards meeting those goals. On the social side of sustainability, you know, we already talked about this a little bit, but we have firm diversity commitments. Um, and it's a part of, um, again, as, as a private, we, we do have a bonus program. <laughs> it's a part of our compensation and it's a part of our, um, you know, both supplier diversity and employee diversity is um, we have firm commitments around that. And we don't get bonuses if we're not meeting those commitments. And those were set up again around representing our population, our customer population demographics. We actually got demographic data from all the counties that we serve to set our targets. Um, and then the governance side is on, um, you know, corporate governance and good practices there. Outside of Aqua, as I think of sustainability and water 2050, and um, I mentioned PFAS earlier, and, you know, I, I think the um, EPA, as someone, we have um, over 3,000 wells, um, and at the former standard, we um, or we were we were looking at treatment at a standard based on best available science to us in the vacuum of EPA not having one of 13, and we had about 40 sites that were going to need PFAS treatment or an alternate source. And with the new um, proposed standard coming in at four parts per trillion, that's going to maybe more than 400 sites. And um, and. EPA's cost estimates, I think, are, are way underestimated. Again, we've already been starting to put in treatment and have real dollars. So, for instance, um, you may need to expand your footprint to be able to put in the vessels. Like, they have no costs for land or easements or building uh, extensions. It's just treatment costs. Um, and 
so as we look at being able to measure more and more, and there's going to be more contaminants of emerging concern. And the thing that strikes out of me sustainability wise is that we only ingest or use for cooking, let's say rule of thumb, 10% of that. And so to treat water, to the use energy, treat water, spend all of those dollars that are going to be so significant um, and use it to put water into your laundry or, or, or water your lawn to me is, is not sustainable. And so by 2050, you know, I, I think there's going to have to be a big shift in our industry. So that's me personally, not, not aqua speaking. Um, but just as we're talking about uh, a longer term view, that's very much front of mind with me with where PFAS is right now. Uh, I appreciate that feedback on sustainability. And i tell you when that, everybody first started talking about it it was that that happy buzzword that i think everybody started throwing around and and i think it took a while for people to really understand and really grasp the concept and i could tell you and kind of jump piggyback on your comment about coatings yeah. i've really seen that that change a lot in the last few years mm-hmm. in our industry you know it, it's it's always been lowest bid you know right. lowest price per gallon and i'd say in the last few years we've really started seeing that shift to these longer life cycle materials, which in a lot of cases is going to give you the, the, the lowest, lowest or the, excuse me, the longest service life, the lowest life cycle cost. And right. in most cases, it's going to be the most sustainable solution. And, and so that, that's been definitely a big change we've seen in the last few years there. So, um, so, so kind of going back, um, talking about the state of the water industry report, you know, we, we, we talked about obviously the renewal and replacement of, of aging infrastructure and the financing challenges mm-hmm. there. Um, one of the things I thought was worth noting is, is I believe this item was number eight on the previous year's report and it screamed up to number four on the latest one, but um, the issue of the aging workforce and impending retirements. And, and so and I know that the term silver tsunami gets thrown around mm-hmm. a lot. And I don't know how old this data is, but they, um, I, f- I found some th- from a few years ago, and, and this may have changed since COVID, but it was saying that the median age of water employees is 48 years old, and that roughly 30 to 50% of, of the workers in the water industry will be eligible to retire in the next five to 10 years. And so I, I don't know, is that still the case, or, or has that even gotten worse, I guess, since, since COVID? Yeah, I think it has gotten worse since COVID in that um, we are seeing some retire earlier, um, you know, through COVID. And um, and so I, for us, I think it's gotten a little bit worse than even what you're hearing there. And that is probably mm-hmm. like one of the most significant issues or that keeps us up at night um, is, you know, having a, a workforce for tomorrow, right? Um, today and tomorrow, and we are losing a lot of years of experience. And so, yeah, th- those statistics resonate true for what Aqua is seeing too. Okay, with that said, can you share any any best practices or maybe any insights into how how you guys are, are dealing with this challenge? Yeah, I think um, in, in terms of workforce, you know, it's it's all hands on deck in terms of recruiting and even. Um, we will try to recruit and bring on board before someone retires because what we found is when you don't train the new, you know, the younger work or the newer workforce coming in well, 
they don't necessarily stay. So that's the other part is that we don't, you know, the, our senior employees have been lifetime. The utility is a great place to work, want to stay. And we see a lot higher turnover with our um, less experienced workforce coming in. And one of the things we hear is about training. So we, we are trying to hit training on all fronts. Um, again, both like overlap, if we can do it with the person who's in the position now, um, also, historically, and this has been something I've seen with all the utilities I've worked with and, and for over the years, both as a consultant and directly, um, historically, it was a, the senior operator will train the operator coming in. And, you know, we need better documentation on that. And then this is where technology, um, whether it's videos um, and more formal onboarding than just the senior operator uh, working with them. So we're, we're working on that on all fronts and we're launching this year a, you know, operator onboarding. Um, it, you can have your certification um, license, but it, it really doesn't prepare you on like the specifics you're going to see at your systems. And um, again, we have we have some operators that will visit 10 different systems a day. We have a lot of small systems. And so um, better training so that they're prepared for what they see, better mentoring. Um, one of the things we're trying to do, and, and we never we didn't focus as much on retention, I think, Previously, a utility was always looked at as a good, stable job, and we didn't have to worry about it as much. But we are really working harder than we've ever done before on retention. Um, we'll do stay interviews. Like um, our HR department will be like, you know, what will it take to, you know, you know, are you are you thinking, are you looking for another job, and what would it take to? So really trying to engage with our employees where they are now before they leave. Um, but I think the biggest thing is around better, more effective training for the workforce as we're bringing them in and more active recruitment. And this ties in too with us trying to have a diverse workforce that meets our demographics. And it, you can be tempted to like, well, we need people now and not take the extra time there. But we, um, we're we piloting a couple of apprenticeship programs in our states that we think will help, um, you know, help us have a funnel of employees um, hopefully diverse and um, and we're trying to get them at the high school level <laughs> yeah. and and bring them on board and have a training program. Um, not everybody necessarily wants to go to college, so we're optimistic about that too, our apprenticeship programs. And, and those are all some really great programs. And, and, and I can tell you, I mean, traveling the country, I, I talked to a lot of different people in different industries, different walks of life. And, and you know, when it comes up in conversation, we'll always talk about different challenges or pain points. And I would say workforce is is top of everybody's mind. And mm -hmm. I, I can tell you, too, you all, in the codings world, that that's another challenge that we're having as, as an industry. I know our, our primary industry organization, AMPP, um, they've got many initiatives to where they're they're trying to capture people all the way down, even to elementary school and trying to get them interested in, in the industry. And and I could tell you from from the coatings industry standpoint, I, you know, it would be very similar to the water industry. I mean, they, these are very rewarding careers um, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases that the pay scale is better than some other industries out there. But but I think it's one of those things where a lot of people coming out of school may not be thinking of, of our industries exactly, at, yep. as being this rewarding. So, so that, that, that's great that you guys are doing some of those initiatives there. And then also. Um, really being intentional about training. And, and I think 
as a whole, we all have to be intentional about it because, you know, I, I was listening to another podcast uh, earlier in the week or, or, or late last week, and they were talking about, um, you know, training in the industry. And, and, and the guy that was being interviewed was talking about how he was trained. And he said it was a lot of basically do it, do as I say, you know, and, and they weren't necessarily breaking it down and really, really teaching them how to do the, the act or, or whatever the duty was. It was basically, hey, you do it exactly this way. And, and they didn't really encourage their people to think on their feet. And so, so it sounds like some of the things you guys are doing is really trying to, to more or less empower that next, I guess, generation coming up and, and giving them some of those problem solving abilities there. Absolutely. Yes. You hit it. Well, um, well, before we finish up our interview today, I'd, I'd like to to go back to really the discussion that's centered around your career path. I, I thought one of the one of the good ways to close today would be um, asking you the question, really, of of if you were talking to a young professional or a upcoming woman in water that was just coming into the industry. What would be some of the the key lessons learned that you can maybe share with them and and then maybe some of the best practices uh, that you'd like to leave with them? Okay. Um, I think, you know, for me, what's been a guiding star, if you like, I am very mission driven. And and as you're getting into water, we do have an awesome mission. Um, and so I've been able to be successful by always kind of having that front of mind. And so there might be challenges, um, whether as a woman or, you know, feeling you have obstacles, but I've been able to get buy-in and, and be able to influence by always keeping the mission front of mind because the others will rally because um, if they're not here for the mission, then they shouldn't be there anyway. Um, so that's how I've been able to really rally my team and then also others around me is always having that as the focus. Um, I had a really good boss. I've, I've been lucky in that I've had really good bosses along the way. And I've always wanted, I just want to have somebody who I can learn from. And I, and so one of them along the way said, um, and this was when I was in city government, like if you see a vacuum, fill it. So um, I think especially as like a younger engineer coming out, you wait a little bit for people to say, all right, this is what you do. This is your task. This is your assignment. But, um, you know, you're all smart, you're trained, and you're going to start to see things that don't look right or things that you might want to improve. And um, so that has helped me tremendously. Like if you see a vacuum, fill it. Um, you know, of course, get, you know, talk to your supervisor, try to, you know, get some buy-in, but, but don't wait for somebody to say, hey, this is, you know, put your ideas out there um, and, you know, you'll leave every place you work again better for you having been there. Um, and then some of the mantras that I've learned over time, you know, things do get challenging and we all have, um, we could probably work 24 hours a day, right? Um, and so, you know, set priorities. And when you're that challenged and kind of overwhelmed um, by the different stressors, I, I just tell myself to keep showing up. And then once you show up, you know, you get rallied again. Um, but we all have those days where it's it's hard. And then I too, I remember I had a coach once who told me, you know, just remember this too will pass. And so when you kind of get through like the times that it's like, uh, I don't know if I can keep doing this, um, you know, show up, keep showing up and, um, and know that as stressful as the situation might be, it'll pass. 
and then I guess the last thing for me, um, where I've grown the most is when, and again, as we have a more diverse workforce, you know, we might have, um, we're going to hear about different ways to do things. And sometimes that can make us uncomfortable. And the water industry tends to be really conservative and used to what it's used to. Um, and so not uncomfortable in a way where you feel like you're getting put down or disrespected. But if it's if it's an uncomfortable in a way like I never thought of it that way before, embrace that. Mm-hmm. And that that's all fantastic advice there. And, and uh, a lot of that resonated with some of the things <laughs> I learned along the way. And I, w- yeah. I would say the only thing I would even maybe add on top of that, I, I tell a lot of young people coming into the industry is, you know, be a sponge. I, I mean, right. r- really yes. take advantage of those mentors around you. And and the fact is, I mean, w- we've got so much good, good talent leaving the workforce in the next few years. And so take advantage of those people and, and, and acknowledge that maybe, maybe there is a different way to do things or a different way to look at it, or, or maybe there's a different perspective out there that maybe you're not considering and, and just be open to that. And, and I think as a whole, you'll be better as a person by heeding that advice. Absolutely. Yep. Always listen. Definitely. Well, Colin, a lot to you. I, I actually did have one more question that I'll kind of leave, leave with you here. Um, and, and so, for this one, I'm going to ask you to, to take out your crystal ball here and, and you know think back to, to the 2050 um, initiative. And I want to ask you, so, so where do you see the water industry being in 2050 and, and how might it look different than today um, with, with some of the current trends and maybe some of the things that will be coming up in the future? Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. I, I really do think there's going to have to be a significant shift with um, you know, whether it's two sets of water infrastructure, um, you know, but for these emerging contaminants that are found at lower and lower levels that get really more and more expensive to treat, um, you know, or maybe there'll be a more prevalence of like point of use devices um, at the household. So I, I think the infrastructure, it's just not sustainable. Like we talked about dollars wise, especially for small systems, um, as there becomes, you know, more and more to treat, there'll, there'll be something after PFAS too. Um, and, you know, the one water concepts as we, um, as we're seeing more development, and I know this is tough in older cities, but, you know, we really do need to think, um, you know, more sustainably upfront wastewater and where we have, um, you know, we have a lot of operations down in Texas and, you know, treating that wastewater to a standard where you can use it for irrigation. And so you're not taxing your water supply, you know, all of that. So I, I see a an infrastructure that's more sustainable, although, um, you know, so I, I think we're just going to have to get there. That's fine. Well, thank you for that. And I want to thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. And I know that our listeners truly enjoyed hearing about your career in the industry and some of your lessons learned along the way. And then I think on top of that, you know, it was very valuable to hear your overall outlook on many of the key challenges that are facing the industry. And so with that said, I'd like to thank you again. And we really hope to talk with you again sometime in the near future. I'd be happy to. Thank you for um, inviting me on this podcast. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed listening to part two of this interview with Colleen Arnold. 
As a leading voice in the water wastewater industry, we here at Tanema Company hope that you will continue to entrust us with developing solutions for the protection of your key water and wastewater assets. Tanemic prides itself on manufacturing long-lasting coatings that are designed to offer the lowest life cycle cost and the greatest value for your projects. We ask that you consider including our safer and sustainable technologies within the design or application of your next project. Thank you again for joining us today on this episode of Coatings Decoded.